Well, hello, friends, and a special welcome to the Michigan State faithful. Here, I mean, I'm a Wolverine, but I'm just telling you, when your star player makes a half-court shot right before halftime, God is with you, okay? You don't have to worry about that. So anyway, we are in the sixth week of a series that we've called Signs. And in this series, we're unpacking what just might be the most influential document ever written on planet Earth. It's called The Gospel of John. It's an account of the life of Jesus written by one of his first followers, a man named John. And not only was John one of the first to follow Jesus, John was one of the first to to place his faith in Jesus. And one of the things as we said all along that makes John's gospel really unique is he's really upfront with us. When he's writing his gospel, he has an agenda and he tells us what it is. Right near the end of his account, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So you just read a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus did. You need to know there was a lot that I sort of edited out for the sake of space and time. But he says, but these, like the ones I selected are written, that you may believe. Like, that's what I want. I want you to come to believe what I believe, that, that Jesus is the Messiah or, or the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name, that, that, that this belief activates a new sort of potential for you and in you, because God actually is inviting you into eternal life through his Son, Jesus. And so in this account, John lays out the signs that led him to believe in Jesus. And, and as many of you know in this series, we're taking a look at the signs one by one. And to get us going today, what I want to do is ask you a question that I can almost guarantee you've asked before and maybe are asking right now. Here's the question. If God is good, why doesn't he do something about it? If God is good, why doesn't he do something about it? And if you think about it, there are a lot of different flavors of it. Something enters your story and it kind of throws your life into chaos and you sort of begin to pray. You say, God, I, I thought you were there. I thought you cared. I thought you loved me. I thought you were watching. I thought you were listening. Like, what's going on? If you're good, why don't you intervene? Some of you, as you came in this morning, would confess in an honest moment that you have exper you're experiencing right now sort of an erosion of faith because of this question. Others of us look back in our lives and we had a season and it was dark and we asked this question and we actually took a break from church, a break from faith, a break from prayer. And if that's you, you know, welcome back and you're trying again, but you still have this sort of lingering question because something happened and God didn't do something about it. And you just have trouble like reconciling a loving God or a good God with, with the bad that, that we've experienced. I just made a list of just the past couple weeks, friends that I've had conversations with. I, I think of a friend who recently received an unwelcome diagnosis. They spent, you know, they were at the doctor. It was a routine visit, but it didn't have routine results. And, and they're sort of thrown into chaos and we're praying. Our friends whose marriages are in, in the middle of, of what feels like an impossible situation. Like it, it, it's like, not only is it on life support, it, it's really trending in the wrong direction. And they're praying. Think of a friend who, you know, recently is struggling with the unexpected loss of a loved one. It came out of nowhere and it just upset everything. And all these questions rise and Think of other friends that are having this ongoing battle with infertility and like every week begins another set of prayers and another set of requests to God and, and, more, and more silence. And so in these situations, it's really natural to ask God why he doesn't do something about it. Like, we, you know, we know he can, but we wonder why he doesn't. And I wanted to start there with, with that tension. And it's a deep dive pretty quick, so please forgive me for that. But I want to st start there because that really is at the heart of the narrative that we get to unpack today. 
And to be clear, um, what we're going to explore doesn't completely resolve the question of why God doesn't do something about it. But I think it may suggest another way to think about the question, a way that's more helpful and ultimately a way that is more hopeful. Because John shares something that he experienced firsthand. He witnessed God in a body coexist with the bad things of this world, with the pain, with the challenges. And, and for some reason, instead of eliminating them, John watched as he leveraged them to build people's faith. And, and that's a little counterintuitive. So with the rest of our time, I want to show you what I mean by showing you what John experienced. So as, as we enter the text, Jesus is approaching the moment in his life when his confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders hits the boiling point. In fact, I would argue that it's the events that we unpack today that actually push his conflict with the religious, religious establishment over the line. So without further ado, here's sort of the setup. John tells us, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Well, Lazarus actually is the brother of Mary and Martha. And this was a, a family that Jesus and the disciples knew really well. Every time they were in Jerusalem, it seems, they stayed with this family. Which brings me to a really snazzy new map that I found online that I'm super excited about. Check this out. Uh, I just want you to see the proximity of Jerusalem and Bethany. Like, think closer than Ada and Cascade. They were right next door. The Mount of Olives separates them, so you had to walk up and down. But they were right close to each other, maybe two miles apart. Uh, and as John begins his account, he tells us that Jesus is actually a day's walk away from Bethany. So he's not in Jerusalem. He's a day's way a walk. Uh, Lazarus is sick. And so here's what happens next. John tells us, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if back 2,000 years ago you were alive and someone mentioned to Jesus that the one he loves was sick and that was you? Saying, right? What's your name? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the one Jesus loves. No, I'm, no, I don't struggle with pride at all. No, it's good. Yeah, really, totally fine. Yeah, so Mary and Martha uh, send this message knowing that Jesus had healed strangers. So I think when they said it, there was like no doubt in their mind that Jesus was going to come and heal their brother, Lazarus. Here's what John tells us happened. When Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. And right, they didn't hear him say this. The disciples heard it. The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So that God's son may be glorified through it. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, whoa, okay, time out. You did it again, Jesus. You said that thing that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, back the truck up a second. With this statement, Jesus is continuing to make the case with his disciples. And this isn't the first time we've seen this. He's continuing to develop the case that pain in our lives sometimes has a purpose. And see, we see pain as categorically a bad thing, but Jesus points us to another possibility because Jesus believed that bad things could happen to good people. Bad things could happen to people that God loves. And not only does that not disprove a good God, but there's actually times that God is doing something redemptive in the midst of the pain, something that's bigger than we can possibly imagine. And so John tells us that this particular sickness was left unattended by God on purpose and for a purpose. And John knows that this idea is going to be uncomfortable to his readers. Check. And so before moving on, he actually reiterates something. He says this. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You're like, okay, John, that's, we, we've already established that. Lazarus is the one Jesus loved. So why are you telling us this? And he said, well, I need to tell you this. We've got to be crystal clear. Because what happens next doesn't really seem 
like love. It actually doesn't seem very Jesus-y, but it's Jesus, so it is, right? Um, here's, what, here's what ends up happening. Um, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. You're like, oh, that's not what I was expecting, right? So here's a guy that we know Jesus loves, a family that he cares about and learns that they're sick, says to his disciples, hey, it's not going to end in death. Um, and they're thinking, okay, that's, that's great. And he says, oh, but we're not going to go yet. We're going to stay for two more days. And 48 hours pass. And then Jesus says to his disciples, okay, now it's time to go to Bethany. Now, that's what's happening with Jesus and the disciples. Move the camera back to Bethany. What's happening in Bethany? Mary and Martha are watching the horizon, waiting for Jesus to approach. And they're having conversations like, where is he, right? Did the donkey break down? Like, what, what's going on? Like, what, you know, he's sure he's coming. Of course he's coming. He loves us. It doesn't make sense that he wouldn't come, but he didn't come. He didn't come. And so then they, they begin to pray to God. Maybe like if we triangulate, like, hey, God, can you get him here faster? Like, please intervene because Lazarus is, is declining. Finally, when Jesus says it's time to go, his disciples they have just one like small, hey, boss, need to just mention this real quick. Here's what, here's what they say, which is just awesome. And then Jesus said, let's go back to Judea. Uh, but rabbi, just means teacher. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, just wanted you to remember, because we remember, we were there in Jerusalem area, which is near Bethany, and the Jews, they tried to stone you. And he's talking about the religious leaders there. They tried to stone you. And yet, um, hey, you're going back? Oh, no, sorry. We're going back? <laughs> um, hey, I... It's great that you want to go now. I'm not sure why we waited, but um, yeah, here's the thing. It's really not great. I love that they're pretending to have Jesus' best interest in mind here, right? Because here's the thing. You just imagine like the religious leaders and some people that are with them are, are ready to throw stones at Jesus, but people in the first century didn't all have great aim, okay? And you're Jesus' disciples and you're standing there with them and you're like, yeah, maybe you can go and we'll wait for you here. You can tell us the story. It'll be very powerful, I'm sure, right? You're really good with that. We could sing songs and all that. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, so yeah, we're going back and, and Jesus gives them some more information. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I just imagine one of the disciples going, oh, fantastic. So he's not really that sick. He's just fallen asleep. He says, oh, but Jesus, I'm going to go there to wake him up. And the disciples are like, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. We don't even have to go. <laughs> Excellent. Right. And by the way, Jesus, we've seen you do the wireless healing before. I don't know how that works. Cell towers or whatever. We don't have to go. It's totally cool. People with rocks, very scary. Okay. Then he goes on. He says, uh, Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, okay, here we go. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you might be, okay, so time out. Now we're going to go to an area where people tried to throw rocks at us. And you're telling us he's already dead. And it's for our sake. Okay, that, that is amazing. Amazing. And it actually feels a little inconsiderate, if you think about it, a little insensitive. Jesus knew Lazarus was going to die, and he let Mary and Martha watch him die. And they had a funeral, and they put him in a cave. And, and you, have to, you have to just think, like, it's amazing that a good God would allow them to experience that. But he did. And this whole event made such an impression on John that when he sat down decades later and said, what do you need to know to see who Jesus is? This is one of them that he included. So as the story continues, um, one of the disciples, uh, Thomas, speaks up and says one of the funniest things recorded in the New Testament. I love this. Here's what, here's what Thomas says. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, so he says, okay, guys, here we go. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Isn't that great? 
Okay, so Thomas is actually, you all have friends like this. Um, I call them Eeyore people. Are you familiar with Eeyore? Remember talking about this? Yeah, Eeyore. He's the one that always has the cloud over his head. Some of you married at Eeyore, but if they're sitting next to you, don't nudge them, okay? But it's like Eeyore is like everything is always bad. He's like the eternal pessimist, right? Uh, and, and so I can just imagine like if you put the inflections of Eeyore into this, Thomas looks at the rest of the disciples and said, let us go also. The Jews are going to stone Jesus and us. Let's go, right? And, and, and again, back in Bethany, everybody is like, where in the world is Jesus? And, and, you know, the community had gathered and they had watched Mary and Martha wait and hope and then Lazarus had died. And, and, and then they put him in the tomb and they put a rock over the tomb and, and then they all sit because in the first century Jewish culture, they did something called sitting Sheva, which means you sit for a week, seven days, with a family, you don't say anything. You just, you're just with them. And halfway through that period of mourning, Jesus and the disciples arrive. John tells us, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So they waited two days, two days walk, whatever, four days. And uh, this is an important detail. In the first century Jewish culture, uh, they believed that once somebody died, the spirit of the dead person would hover over the body for three days. So they held out hope for three days, but then at three days, the spirit would look at the body and just sort of depart, and then hope was dead. So what, what hope was gone. And so what John wants us to see here is that Lazarus wasn't just dead, he was like dead dead. And so um, Mary and Martha were left with a bunch of questions. Like if God really cares about us, why would he allow us to hurt so badly? And I think if we're honest, again, we've all had moments when we've felt like this, and I, I think that may be one of the reasons that John chose to record this sign. He wanted us he wanted us to maybe hold out hope even in otherwise hopeless situations. So, next slide. Um, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So there's two girls, two sisters, and one has one, uh, takes one option, the other takes the other. Uh, so Martha goes right out to meet Jesus. Mary stays at home and just, why do you think Mary stayed at home? I think she was hurt and I think she was um, she wasn't sure she was going to say anything nice to Jesus and her mama taught her if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say anything at all, right? I, I would imagine uh, she's back home just sort of monologuing at Jesus in her mind. Like, I, I, I can't believe you did that to us. You could have, you should have, you didn't. You must not love us. And so where, where were you? Uh, Martha, though, takes a different approach. She walks out and confronts Jesus directly. She says this. She says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died if you'd been here. I mean, my brother, I, I know you could have. And, and, and she's honest and she's hurt. And here's the thing. I don't think Jesus is upset by this challenge because he knows something she didn't. This whole situation was a setup to a sign. What's interesting is John continues, we see that Mary or Martha is actually clinging to a little bit of faith. So she says, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So I, I, I believe this is still possible. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, this is like when you're at the funeral and someone says, oh, they're in a better place. And you're, you're grieving. And you're like, that's great. It doesn't make me feel any better. So Jesus kind of gives, gives her this theology lesson. She thinks, right? Yeah, I know, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's not really what I'm looking for at this moment. I'm just really, really, really hurting. And then Jesus looks at this angry, confused, 
emotional human being and says to her this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Do you, do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus basically says, I'm the living embodiment of everything you've hoped for. And your thoughts about me are actually the most important thoughts that you will ever have because anyone who puts their trust in me after seeing the signs will live even though they die. Do you believe this? And, and it was so hard for her to believe in that moment. And those are the moments that for us it's so hard to believe. Those are the moments it's hard for me to believe. And, and so Mar Martha musters up as much faith as she could find and she looks at Jesus and she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that God promised to send to make things right. I believe that who's to come into the world. I believe that you're the fulfillment of all our hopes and all our dreams. And to be fair, Martha believed even though in that moment she didn't understand. But somehow she knew something. We talked about this last week that you don't have to understand everything to believe something. So with all of her questions and all of her doubts, she says, yes, I, Jesus, I still believe. And then Martha runs to get Mary Mary has a tear-soaked conversation with Jesus as well. And then John tells us this. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. So again, the community is gathered. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he says, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. Jesus says, lead me to the tomb. The next verse in the Bible is actually the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's one of the most profound verses in the Bible. And you'll see why. It's just two words. Here's what John tells us next. In this moment, John wants us to know that God has the ability to enter your pain even when he doesn't do anything about it. And that is a profound thought because it's tempting to think he's too big to understand or he's too, too distant or he just doesn't care. But he knows. He knows what it's like. He knows how it feels and he mourns with us at times, and he cries with us at times. And that day, standing outside of the tomb, Jesus entered the tears and the fears of that moment. And the people standing there observed him, and they said what you and I would have said. Jesus, the Jews that were there said, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, we talked about that last week, have kept this man from dying? I mean, he could have. But he didn't. Continues. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a cave with a stone laid across it. And he said something that no one was expecting. Take away the stone, he said. And I think a hush fell over the crowd. Because they're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. You weren't here. You need to know he isn't recently deceased. It's been days. That tomb needs to be sealed. And so Mary and Martha sort of stumble around. They get, okay, really practical objection, Jesus. Here we go. Um, but Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been in there four days. One of my favorite verses when I was a kid, I'll never forget this. I'm in church in a pew, right? And we were using the King James back then because it was the 1800s. I don't know why. But anyway, we're using the King James. And in the King James, this literally reads, but, but Lord, he stinketh. Isn't that awesome? Okay, by this time there is a bad odor for he'd been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Which again, doesn't, they're, not, they're still not connecting the dots. 
He's like, listen, guys, we need to go because you need to see something. And, and did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And after voicing their concerns, Mary and Martha give permission. Okay, we believe just enough. Move the stone. And Jesus looks up and he prays. Here's what he says. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus says, like, Heavenly Father, you and I know exactly what's going on, but this group and future generations need to know how connected we are, that my heartbeat is your heartbeat, that if they want to know what you think about a situation, they need to look at me because they need to know how connected we are because the most important question for people to wrestle to the ground, first century and today, isn't how a good God can allow bad things to happen. The most important question for any of them to wrestle down is who I am. Because friends, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then that reframes all of our other questions and perhaps offers us a way to find the courage to keep the faith even in a season of pain when we don't have answers to why God doesn't move. And so after praying, John tells us Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. They basically wrapped him like a mummy. Hush falls over the crowd. Next slide. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I was reading a commentary this week on this and it was great because the guy's like, do you know why they had to tell the people to take off the grave clothes? Jesus had to tell them because no one was moving. They're all like, right? And it was, it was, it was unbelievable. Another one of those things, unbelievable and un. Deniable, and eventually everyone rushes to Lazarus. He was alive again. And then Jesus, uh, John concludes this account by making a statement he didn't need to make. Listen to this. Therefore, John tells us, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, who had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. No kidding, right? I think the whole town came to faith. I think within an hour, all of Jerusalem was talking. Like he did it again, but this was even bigger than anything. This was, this was like a dead guy coming back to life. And they go, who was it? Lazarus. And everybody apparently knew who Lazarus was. And they believed in Jesus based on what they had seen and based on what they heard. And so decades later, when John sits down to write, he's like, we have to, I have to tell you about this day. Because this was the day that so many people believed in Jesus, and I want you to believe in Jesus based on what we experienced that day. Now, as it turns out, the resurrection of Lazarus was so indisputable that the religious leaders decided that Jesus had to be stopped. And so they called an emergency meeting and agreed that they had to move and move quickly. And not only did they decide that Jesus had to be arrested and executed, check this out, Lazarus had to be arrested and executed as well, John records the primary sentiment of the meeting. He says, the, the, one of the leaders says, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then, and here's the big problem, right? The Romans will come, because the Roman Empire was the global military superpower. As long as they were keeping the peace, Rome let them stay in power. But the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Guys, we have so much to lose. And I think Jesus would look at them and they go, but you have so much to gain. But because of your willful blindness, you can't see it. God is doing something new in your midst and you're missing the miracle. Because in the first century, God himself came to dwell amongst 
the evil and the brokenness of our world, and he chose to experience the worst humanity had to offer firsthand. In the person of Jesus Christ, he encountered the worst pain imaginable. He entered the tears, fears, and disappointments of the human condition in order to demonstrate and communicate how much he loves us. Even in moments when we wonder how a good God could allow so many bad things. Our big idea says it this way. God entered our pain in order to demonstrate his love for us. So as we close down, I just want to encourage those of you who are on, are on the verge of losing your faith because of pain in your life. And to all of you who've begun to doubt God's goodness because of evil that you see in the world, I want to encourage you, don't give up. You're not the first to struggle and you're not going to be the last to struggle. And hear this, I don't know why God doesn't do something about your it. But I know that he knows why. And I know that he's always at work in the midst of your mess. And he's always at work in the midst of my mess. And I know something else too. Beyond all the circumstances and beyond all the situations, he is for you. You never have to doubt that because anyone who would die for you is for you. You can trust him. And so in the midst of your questions, I would just invite you to look past the pain and to look to the cross where God's unconditional love for humanity changed the course of history. In fact, if we were able to ask John about our it, say, John, why doesn't, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't Jesus move on our behalf? I think John would look back and you go, I don't know, but here's what I do know. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. And he would say, listen, I've had troubles. You're having troubles. Look past the troubles. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb because God moved. And if you keep your eyes there, it brings hope even in impossible circumstances. He loves you. And he is for you. Even when it feels like that can't possibly be true. Just stand and I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, a teaching like this always fills my mind and my heart with friends that are struggling, that are walking unspeakably difficult paths. And somehow even this idea doesn't really make them feel any better. And, and so I just pray that somehow you would encourage them by your spirit, that you would send someone to them to offer them words that carry significantly more weight than the word should because you want to communicate something to them through those words. But in this moment, um, in this moment, we look past the grief observed and we look to the cross in wonder that you came for us, that you love us, and that you offer us hope and a future with you. I pray that we would cling to that in moments where everything else seems so fleeting. And so, 
for today, we just say thank you. We honor you. We bless you. In the matchless name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Everyone said amen. Friends, grace and peace to you. If you need any prayer, there's a few people under the screen that would love to meet with you, but otherwise we'll see you next week.